Uh, right off the bat, I need to let you know that what I'm about to say has nothing to do with my message, but I want you to hear it. Um, I don't know if you realize there's a lot of stuff going on in our country right now. I don't, I don't know if that's a surprise to any of you. Do you know that there's, there's been debates that have turned into arguments? Are you guys aware of that? Are, are, you, are you guys aware that there's, a, there's some confirmation stuff going on right now that's got people really divided? You guys heard about that? Do you know that coming up pretty soon there's an election? Are you guys aware that that's happening too? Um, it, it, it amazes me how many people are in church and say we follow Jesus and who get so wigged out as if what is happening right now is going to determine the course of our lives. Here's what you need to know. Relax. <laughs> there is a God who is sovereign, and it's his world. It doesn't belong to the elephants nor the donkeys. Do you understand? And I don't know why people are supposed to trust in a sovereign God believe as if who's in the White House or on the Supreme Court have anything to do with determining God's plan for this world. Now, leadership has consequence. I understand that. But last I checked, God doesn't listen to donkeys nor elephants, and God isn't <laughs> beholden to an orange wave of maniability or a demented man in a basement. He just isn't. And I think we would be wise to relax. It's not our world. It's not our country. It's not even our future. It's God's. And if we're going to say that we've, and not everybody says this, so I understand. So some of you have a, have a real reason to be upset because this is your only hope. But for some of us who believe that my world is not this world and that my God can work through elephants and donkeys. I've got no reason to be upset nor worried. You understand? Relax. God has worked through a lot of imperfect, nasty, messed up, evil people in the past and he can still do that. So relax. Do you understand? Here's the thing. You either trust his hand or you don't. And his hand isn't necessarily on the right side of the aisle or the left side of the aisle. It's his hand. Relax. That goes for everything in your life that you are currently worried about. Relax. Do you understand? Do you understand? You understand? That's not what I came to preach about. I just thought I would share it. Let me tell you this, and this is what I firmly believe. This is my expectation. That this is going to be a day 
for someone where things are going to change for your favor. I told the first service this too. I said, I don't know if it happens in the first service or second service. I don't know if it happens to someone who's listened to us online, but there's going to be a day where things change for your favor, for someone. We're in this series positioned for blessing. And I need to make sure that you understand that we cannot manipulate God's hand. We cannot do things and position ourselves in such a way to make God work in any way, one way or the other. He is not beholden to anybody. He doesn't ask anybody's opinion. And he doesn't make sure that we're doing things right before he chooses to act. He is God. And so there, I need to be clear that when we talk about positioning ourselves for a blessing, I'm not talking about manipulating his hand as if he owes us something because we've done something. But I am saying this, that we can remove ourselves from the position to be able to receive his blessing. And we can put ourselves in a position to be able to receive his blessing. Now, in this series, we're talking about um, the overarching theme is this, that the way I trust God today positions me for his blessings tomorrow. The, the, the way I follow him today, what I choose to do today, the decisions I make today in accordance with his will positions us for blessing tomorrow. And we talked about seven characteristics of the person who was in a position to receive God's blessing. We talked about being in a position of prayer. Today, I'm going to talk about being in a position of expectation. Jeff talked about being in a position of trust. He did a good job, didn't he? It was, it was fantastic for, for, for Shell and I as we drove across the, 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 the wide open spaces of Wyoming to be able to be a part with you in our worship service. So thank you for your generosity that enables us that opportunity. It was a lot of fun listening to Jeff. He did a good job. I'm going to deal with that as well next week because it, it's a really crucial thing to understand what it means to trust God. Those who are in a position to be blessed, to put themselves in a position to experience God's blessing, keep themselves in a position of prayer, position of expectation, a position of trust. They also put themselves in a position of letting go because in order to grab onto what God wants to do then, you can't hold on to what you right. did back. Right. So we have to be in a position of letting go. We also have to keep ourselves in a position of leaving behind because some things you just got to leave behind you. There's some people you need to leave behind in your life. There are some experiences you need to leave behind in your life. There are some memories you need to leave behind in your life. And there's some regrets you need to leave behind in your life. Those who are in a position to be blessed, experience God's blessing, also keep themselves in a position of embracing the new things that God wants to do, the new territory he wants to take, the new ground he wants you to, to walk into. Those who keep themselves in a position of being blessed, keep themselves in a position of faithfulness. As God reveals things to us, as he, as he shows us things, he wants us to follow him in faithfulness. Seven characteristics of someone who keeps themselves in a position of experiencing God's blessing. Now, now let me just ask you this, and, and my, 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 feet, my guess is if you walk with Jesus in any length of time, you've experienced this. You might not put words to it like I do, but you've experienced this. There is a distinct distinction between faith and belief. There's a distinction between faith and belief. Here's what I mean. I can have faith for salvation, but struggle with belief that God will act on my behalf right now. Have you ever experienced that? Yes. Yeah. Like I can have faith in, in God to save me, but I struggle with belief that he's going to do something for me right now. My proof 
for you is what the Bible says in Mark, 9, in Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, verses 17 through 24, I think, there's a man with a son, and his son is ill. It's actually demon-possessed. And this man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I asked your disciples to help, and they couldn't do anything. And the man says to Jesus, if you can, and Jesus looks at him and says, if, if, playoffs, and he's like, like what, wait, what do you mean if? If I can, all things are possible for him who believes, and the man's response was profound. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe who you are, but help me believe that you're going to do something. And if you've walked with Jesus any length of time, you've probably had those moments, those seasons in life. I believe who you are, but I doubt that you're going to do something right now. Have you ever believed who God is, but doubted he would do something right now? Yeah. 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 I believe in heaven, no doubt. But I kind of doubt that you're going to show up in my world. I believe, help my unbelief. To keep your, how do you keep yourself in a position of expectation when you doubt? Now, let me give you some context before I give some content. There are four gospels. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The beautiful thing about what God did in putting this book together for us that we call the Bible is that he imparted perfect eternal truth through people with, pers with, with, with specific perspectives and personalities. And so the way this is written is colored by the hand through which it came. But the truth, the eternal truth came from God, but he allowed it to have texture to it that's specific to the person who had pen in hand. And that is, that, is, that is most evident in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here's what I mean. Each of those four writers presented who Jesus is to a specific group of people and as such presented Jesus in a particular light. For instance, the second of the gospels, Mark, was pre presents Jesus as the servant because Mark was right, his audience was Romans. And so he, 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 he positioned Jesus as a picture of a servant because Romans understood that world. Luke came along and his presentation of Jesus was from the perspective of man because his audience was, was Greeks. And so he presented Jesus in his humanity. John came along and presented Jesus as God, as almighty God, because John's audience was the world. And he said, you need to understand that Jesus is God. He was with God in the beginning. He is God. Nothing that created, came into the created being came except through him because he is God, the Bible says. The word was with God. The word was God. Jesus is him. Matthew, the first of the gospels, presents Jesus as the king and the Messiah because Matthew's audience were Jews who were looking forward to the Messiah. Now, Messiah means anointed one. It's a Hebrew word that means anointed one or chosen one of God. And the Hebrews would understand that term. The Greek word for Messiah is Christ. 
That's right. Jesus is called Jesus the Christ. It's that Greek word for the anointed one. And in Matthew, writing the gospel of Matthew, knows that he's trying to communicate to Jews. And so he uses the terms of Messiah and King and the Son of God, the Son of David. So I want you to jump with me into Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. If you have a Bible, brought one with you. Go to Matthew. So first of the foot, go to the middle of the Bible, take a right. The first of the gospels, Matthew chapter 15. No, no, no. Notice what the Bible says. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. Have you ever cried out to God only to hear silence in return? Have you ever cried out to Jesus something that's really important and get nothing in response? You'd think if Jesus was going to respond to somebody, he'd respond to a woman, mama, crying out for her child. But have you ever, even in those moments of deep distress, said, God, please, and get nothing? You and I will have a conversation because the, okay. they're not even paying attention. <laughs> they're, they're not like responding to me. They're saying, not getting nothing. Okay. Jessica, you and I will. Yeah. All right. So Jessica, notice what the Bible says. Yeah. All right. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She's but Have you ever been so bothered by a woman you just want her to go away? <laughs> yes. Have you ever been so bothered by a man you want him to go away? Yes. <laughs> I don't want to offend one without offending the other. So there's some people just get on your nerves. You just say, Gus, go away, right? Oh, he answered. Who did Jesus answer? Here or the disciples? He answered the disciples. And he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came in up before him, Lord, help me. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Oh, what he? Have you all ever been offended by someone's words? A couple of you? Hmm. She says, yes, it is, Lord. <laughs> I love this woman. She's bold, man. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said, woman, yeah, gum, you got great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. In order to be positioned for blessing, there has to be a position of expectation. This woman came to Jesus with the expectation, and her expectation was great. And her expectation was that God will act. Here's this woman crying out in need for her child. And if God's going to help anybody, surely it is her you parents know what it is like to cry out for your child in those moments where you say, God, even if you're not going to do it for me, I probably don't deserve it, but my baby. So I mean, surely God's going to respond to her, right? Does he? No. Not initially anyway. You know, this woman has everything going against her. She's from a, the first thing, she's from a place called the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. Now, these were important places in especially Old Testament scripture. Israel failed to conquer Sidon when it was, when it was moving into the promised land. So these were, these were enemies that, that had been unconquered. In Sidon, they worshiped Sidonian gods that had nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Jesus. 
Queen Jezebel, the most corrupt evil woman in the Old Testament who led the king and the nation of Israel astray into the worship of Baal was Sidonian. These were not people that God seemed to have an affinity with. And there were several Old Testament prophecies that prophesied against Tyre and Sidon about its destruction. She was from the wrong place. She was there at the wrong time. And she was a foreigner for goodness sake. What right does she have to ask Jesus for anything? Have you ever felt that way? I, I got no right. I mean, oh man, who I've been, what I've done. I better be real good before I go talk to God. She had everything against her. Not only was she from the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong ethnic group, she was a woman for goodness sake. Yeah. Yeah. She was a, yeah. Yeah. a woman. A woman is talking to... Did you know that the ancient Jewish uh, uh, real religious folk had a prayer and it said, God, thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. Mm. Do you know that was one of their prayers? Yeah. That's some crazy days back then, man. <laughs> I mean, she had, she had everything going against her. She's a wrong type of person from the wrong place. She's a foreigner. She doesn't belong here. And she's a woman. She got the worst. I mean, this is intersectionality at its best. And it's all against her. Now, let me just, let me just pause for a moment and make this point. How did a non-Jewish woman hear about Jesus, and not just hear about Jesus, but hear about Jesus as the Messiah, the chosen one, the holy one. The, you know, how? There was nothing in her background that was a background of faith. There was nothing in her background about church. There was nothing in her background about God. There was nothing in her background about a Messiah. There was nothing in her background about religion. There was nothing in her background even about Judaism. How would she have ever heard about Jesus? And not just Jesus, but Jesus as the Messiah, the son of David. How? Well, obviously, there was someone in her life who knew about Jesus, who told her. There was someone in her life that said, look, I know you've got a great need. I can't help you, but I know someone who can, and his name is Jesus. See, I want you to understand that our lives, are, are we function in what I call huddles. Now, in my football, in my world of football, a huddle is a group of 11 guys that get to you, and those 11 guys in that huddle, they, they're committed, not just to the goal, but to each other. And those 11 men in that huddle will fight for each other and bleed for each other. I mean, they, we are family. You understand? And the communication that goes on inside that huddle is profound. Here's what I want you to know. There was this woman, was in someone's huddle mm, that's good. and that someone in that huddle knew Jesus. Do you understand? Yes. And they told her, about, here's what I know. You all, every one of us exist in a huddle. We all exist in a huddle. There are people around our lives. And those people in your huddle probably have needs. And those people in the, the, your huddle who have needs need to know about Jesus. 
when we were uh, this last uh, weekend, we were in South Dakota. We were walking around Rapid City uh, before the football game, and we were walking down this this road, and this this one fella comes up, and and he looked. I mean, he he'd had a rough. Uh, few years. I mean, it was, it was, he was in a bad spot. Um, and, and he asked me, he said, Hey, do you have a, a couple of dollars? So I can get a sandwich. I said, no, I mean, I'd have my wallet on me. I had nothing on me. Uh, I said, no, I really don't. I mean, if I had enough for a sandwich, I'd buy myself a sandwich or something, but I got nothing. But I said, I do have a phone and my phone has a Starbucks app and we're right in front of a Starbucks. So let's you and I go into Starbucks and I'll get you whatever you want. He goes, well, I got my uncle too. I said, well, I'll buy you both, whatever you want. Let's just go into Starbucks. I said, okay. And so I looked at him and I said, hey, um, so are you, you're native, right? Like Native American. Right. I could tell he was right. an Indian. And, and he looked at me and he said, why would you ask me that? You just assume I'm native? I said, well, yeah. I mean, you've seen you, right? I mean, <laughs> like you could look at me and assume I'm a white guy. <laughs> I said, and you'd be right because I am a white guy. <laughs> I said, yeah, just fit. Yeah. I said, am I wrong? He said, I could be Mexican. I said, yeah, I know you could be. That's why I asked. So you native or not? He said, well, yeah, from the Lakota tribe. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Tell me about that. And so we started talking. And, uh, and we got to the point, he said, you know, I'm, I said, you know what? He's hanging out in front of Starbucks asking for food. Like, what's the story? He said, my mom's in the hospital. She's not doing well. And so they won't let us see her, but I, I need to be near her. I said, boy, I get that, man. And I told him, I said, look, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know a lot, but I know two things. Life is uncertain, and death is certain. Um, and I just know that I want to be ready to meet Jesus when my death day comes. And I said, and, 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 and the same is true what I want for your mom, and I want that for you, because you're going to die one day. And I would love for you to know about God. And so we started talking, and it was just an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody for a moment, he was in my huddle. Do you understand? Yeah. And so we start talking, and, and uh, he goes, yeah, I got really bad health. I'm a diabetic. I said, oh, well, you know, it, you, know you, you need to get help with that. He said, I know. Will you get me a caramel macchiato? I'm like, what? Like, I told him, I said, you got diabetes. You want a caramel macchiato? I said, you're not real smart, are you? He said, I don't know. It's like my treat. I said, well, okay, uh, whatever. I said, what's your, like, what's your native name? Like, what's your, like, what's your real name? He said, uh, it's, it's Two Crow. I said, ah, oh, Two Crow. That's pretty cool. What's your uncle's native name? He said, Two Eagle. I said, Two Eagle? He got the better of the deal. You're just a crow. He's an eagle. That's, that's, that's crazy, man. And so we just start talking. And I wish I could tell you, led him to Jesus right there in Starbucks. I didn't. But I knew for a moment that he was in my huddle. And I knew I had a responsibility. Here's what I know. You have people in your huddle that you've never told about Jesus. Did you know that when Jesus was crucified and resurrected and went back to heaven, he didn't take all of his followers with him? Just like when you accepted Christ, you have a relationship with Jesus, he didn't take you immediately to heaven. Do you know why? He gave us one job. One job. Jeff, you got one job. The only job he gave us when he went back to heaven, our one job while on earth, if we have a relationship with Jesus, is to introduce people in our huddle to him. That's our one job. 
That's the only thing he left us on earth to do. And my suspicion is that many of us have people in our huddle that we've never introduced them or had conversations deeply with them about Christ. This woman did. Someone in her, someone was on the front row of her life. You got one job. Some of you are here because you've been on my prayer list for years. Because I got one job. You understand? How we trust God today will position us for blessing tomorrow. This woman was desperate. Have you ever been desperate? This woman was desperate. She had a need that nobody could meet. She had a need that made her desperate. Though she was desperate, though, she knew who to find. She had looked for somebody else, for anyone else, somewhere, everywhere. She couldn't find nobody who to, in her desperation, she found somebody. Verses 22 through 23, this Canaanite woman crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She knew who to find. She was so desperate, she kept after him. Even after they asked him to ask Jesus to send her away, she kept after him. She was, have you ever been that desperate? When you don't care who's around you, you don't care who hears, you're going to cry out time and time and time and time and time again because you are just that desperate. Nobody else has been able to help. She didn't know who Jesus was, but she knew who to go looking for. She addressed him as son of David. That was a messianic title that only Jews used. She didn't understand totally who this Jesus was, but she knew that he was someone who could help. She was that desperate. She at least recognized there was, some, there was some authority behind that title. In Matthew 15, 24 through 26, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. This woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she, uh, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. He sounds so cold and, 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 and uh, cold, so cold hearted right here. I want you to understand something. No, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna save it for later. That's a good thing. I'm, I was gonna say something that's really, really good, but I'm, I'm gonna save it for later. Jesus said, I have come to the lost sheep of Israel. In effect, what Jesus is saying is, if I am who you say I am, the son of David, that means I am then the shepherd and the king of Israel. I was sent to find those lost sheep. I was not sent for you. And in essence, he's saying, I'm surprised that you recognize me for who I am because they do not. That's what he's saying. And then he says those words. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to you dogs. Now, I asked you before, have you ever been offended by what someone said? Does this sound offensive? Understand this. Everything that Jesus does is an attempt to draw us to him, not push us away from him. Even this, let me tell you how I know. This is a straightforward Middle Eastern style of a friendly joke. This is not an insult. Jesus would not insult someone like this because everything Jesus does is intended to draw us to him, not push us away from him. So get this, let me translate it for your life. Everything in your life right now is an attempt by Jesus to draw you to him, not push you away from him. Even when he says this and calls her a dog. Here's how I know this is just a friendly joke. Because in the New Testament, there are two words used for dog. 
One of those words is the wild street dog that eats your cats and chews up your puppies and poops on your lawn that just runs around your neighborhood. It's just a nasty old mutt. The other word used for dog in the New Testament is the family lap dog, the precious pet. Guess which one Jesus uses for her? The family lap dog, the precious pet, the one that you're going to take care of. They're not on the same par as your children most of the time, but you are going to take care of them. So Jesus is not being difficult with her. He's developing her. This is not an insult to her at all. He is just simply surprised that a woman not part of his family would recognize him for who he is when his own family was missing him. Everything Jesus does is meant to draw you to him. Don't take it as an offense. Don't take it that he doesn't care. Don't take it as he's pushing you away. Don't take it as he's silent. He's developing you to draw you to him. See, what I know is that desperation has a way of bringing clarity. When we get desperate enough, We'll get desperate for Jesus. When we get desperate enough, we'll go looking for him. She was desperate enough that she came to the realization, nobody else, nothing else, no other avenue or way has provided a way. I'm desperate enough that I'm going to go to this guy. Maybe, just maybe, in order to be in a position to receive blessing from God, we have to get desperate enough to go to him. She was desperate, and she knew who to look for. But not only was she desperate, the girl was hungry, and she knew who to ask. She was hungry. There was a need and an emptiness in her life. And she might not known, know what she needed, but she knew, she knew who to ask. And she says in verses 26 through 27, after he says it's not right to give the morsels to the puppies, she says, oh, yeah, even the puppies. God, I am so hungry. I'm not asking for a meal. I am so hungry. I'm not even asking for a seat at the table. I am so hungry, and I'm so desperate. I just need a morsel because even the puppies get the crumbs. God, I know that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, but right now, my need is so great and it's so vital. I don't need a seat at the table. I just need a crumb. God, I'm not asking you to recreate the earth. I'm just asking you to reorder my world. You ever been that hungry? In essence, understand what she's saying. In essence, what she's saying is, she said, I am so, I'll take a crumb. If that's all I get, I'll take, because I know whatever you can give me is more than what I got. And so I'll take even a crumb, because here's the thing. I know how much you have to give by how much your kids have already wasted. She says, your kids have wasted so much of your grace and so much of your mercy and so much of your presence and so much of your blessing. They're just letting it fall to the ground. I'll take a crumb of what they've wasted because they're so wasteful. See, the idea of getting a crumb was not an indictment on God's scarcity. It was the result of the abundance that others had wasted. I just need to ask. How much of that grace have you wasted? 
See, she knew that his kids were wasteful. She knew that his kids were ungrateful. She knew that his kids just let the crumbs fall all over the ground. And what even, here's the thing. We will start missing his blessings when we over, overlook and neglect what's on the table. And his response, I love his response. Jesus said to her, woman. Now, <clears throat> have y'all ever heard this story before? You've been in church a little bit. I mean, usually we hear it as, I'm going to give my crumbs, the crumbs, you know, the food of the dogs. And it's this real abrasive thing. No, no, no. Everything God does is meant to draw us to him, not push us away. When he says here, woman, it's not like he's all, woman. Gah, oy vey. <laughs> this word woman is the exact same word he used of his own mother. It means sweetie, dear one. Again, everything Jesus does is meant to draw us to him, not to push us away from him. So he doesn't respond to her with like, what are you? He's like, sweet one, you have great faith. He says, your request is granted. And he elevates her in that moment. Jesus elevates this woman past her heritage. And he elevates her past her gender simply as a woman. And he elevates her past her ethnicity. And he grants her what has never been granted to the disciples. Ask whatever you want now. Here's what happens. See, we position ourselves for blessing by two ways that we've talked about so far. By trusting in prayer and trusting with expectation. This is what this woman had. I expect, God, that you got plenty to give, that you're not a God that's going to run short, that your supply is not going to run dry, and that you're never going to run out, because I expect that you already are, even before my request, a God of abundance. I expect that there's plenty to go around. I expect that there are so many crumbs that people have left on the ground around them, laying around, unrealized and unappreciated blessings. I expect that you've got it. And Father, if they miss it, I don't want to. So whatever they're going to neglect, I'm going to ask you for I don't want to miss your blessing, and I expect that you're going to give it. That's what she said. Do you understand? I want you to note something. That this woman started with religion. When she came to Jesus, she started with religion. Do you remember her response to him? When she first asked, what did she call him? Son of David. Son of This was not her heart. This wasn't reflective of her. Son of David was the way that the religious Jews talked about the Messiah in Jerusalem. She was a Gentile Kenite woman from Tyre and Sidon. She had no idea about son of David. How did she get that name, son of David? I suspect, I can't prove it, but I suspect you go back a few chapters to Mark 9, I, I think it is, and you read about two blind men, Jews, who knowing they were blind, knowing that Jesus was there, cried out, son of David, have mercy on me. It could have just been that she heard what others have done, what they got from God, and figured if I get the, the, the right way about me, if I do it the right way, if I get the right formula, I'll get what they got. You understand? It could just be that she thought if I say the right words, I'll get the right result. If I say it right with the correct verbiage, the correct formula. And Jesus says, oh no, that ain't the way I work. That ain't the way I work. I work by grace from an honest heart. And what I have to give you is scandalous. It's scandalous. Who is this woman to think she would deserve something from God? 
See, we make the mistake of thinking, if I do the right things, I get the right result. If I do the right things, I get the right. If I do what they did, I'll get what they got. If I do what they did, I get what they got. If I do what they did, I get what they got. And we see God work in people's lives. And we hear like these great stories. Like, well, if I could just do that, I'll get that. And God says, that's not what it's about. That's religion. That's performance. That's behavior. All I want is a heart of a mother that just simply says, God, help me. Just help me. She didn't give him direction. She didn't tell him how. She just said, Father. See, it's just so hard for religious people to understand. See, it's not religious behavior that Jesus responded to in this case. He responded to the heart that was open in honesty to him. That just said, See, he allowed her to hear his response to his disciples. I haven't come to give the bread to the dogs. To which she responded in a depth of worship that she had never experienced before. She got real, real, real quick. And it changed from son of David, have mercy. She would have never said those words. You only say those words when you're in church. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying you start talking like a church person all of a sudden when you got any, oh, Lord, mighty God, I bless your name, oh, Father, and all there. Like, that's not like you. That's not you. It's not your heart. And finally she gets real and she just cries out, Lord, help me. Just. I mean, when she says help, who was in need? Okay, thank you for answering me. Who said that? Who answered? You get a gold star. God, give Linda extra crown and like a, a jewel in heaven in her crown. Who was in need? Her daughter. But what does she say? Help me. Why? Because every parent knows that you feel the pain that your child is in. One pastor said it like this, a parent is only as happy as their least happy child. When a child is in pain, when a child hurts, the father's heart, the mother's heart experience it. And the song we last sang before I came up to preach was good, good father. Because he knows that when you and I, his kids are in pain, he feels it personally, and he would love the opportunity to step into a life that opens up with honesty and wholeness and says, Lord, I just need you because I'm in pain. He says, I know you are because I feel that too, and I want to give you what you need. At this point, there was nothing religious about this woman. In humility, she said, you are Lord. You are master. You are leader. I want us to understand that religious process does not produce miraculous product. It's not about the religious process. You might think you've got to do the right things the right ways so God will do on your behalf. That's not what it's about. See, too many of us trust in the wrong thing. Trust cannot be placed in the process. Trust has to be placed in the person of Jesus There's no process you can obey and adhere to to make God move on your behalf to bless you. There is a person you must trust in to position yourself to receive. And worship works where formulas fail. And so many of you have been living by formulas to get God's hand to move when worship is the only thing that works. When you fall before him in honesty and say, Lord, help. Help. 
I just want to view God through, I want to view, I'm sweating up here. Hey, let me tell you this. If you ever go, I mean, I want you to stay here, but if you ever go to a church where the pastor isn't sweating when he preaches, he ain't doing a good job. Just understand that, okay? I need to get one of them, one of those preacher kerchiefs. I don't know what they call them, but you know, what? A sweat towel? Whatever, man. Like, You know, I, I need something, man. Not one of the fancy silk ones, because silk doesn't absorb nothing. I need just a good old-fashioned football, like like a towel or something. Like sweating. I forgot where I was. I was I was going to say something. I guess what I want to say is this: Do you trust Jesus enough to make Him the Lord and the leader and the master? of your life and expect from him what he has to give you. This woman moved through from a need to a request to a denial to a delay to a renewed request before God answered. Now, all that happened in the context of a conversation, and I wish I ha- it happened that fast for us. It doesn't, most of the time. But we all move through a need and a request and a denial and a delay and a renewed request before God answers. And sometimes that process takes days. Sometimes that process takes months. Sometimes that process takes years. Sometimes that process takes seasons of life. And the part thing is we don't have any idea how long that's going to take to get there. But what we do know, and I'll believe it for you if you don't believe it for yourself, that we know that God is not a God of scarcity and of only crumbs. He's the God that sets tables before you in the presence of your enemies, that enough is left on the table for you to feast and to feast well. And how you trust God today will position you for blessing tomorrow. That's what I know. And so I want to invite you to pray in trust and to pray with expectation. See, Ben, come up here because I'm, I'm already way over time. Great expectation honors God. I want you to understand that. Great expectation honors God. And by great expectation, we affirm his ability. Do you understand that? Now, if I needed to borrow $10,000, I don't think I'd ask my friend Brandon. No, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll pray with you. You can ask all you want. You know why I wouldn't ask Brandon? Because <laughs> as much as Jessica would want to give that to me, I don't think Brandon's got that in his wallet right now. No, no, no. I don't want to make an assumption. But I just, I just don't know. Now... If I want to borrow a dollar, could I ask you for a dollar? Okay, all right, fair enough. If, if I needed to borrow, if I needed to borrow just a thousand dollars, I wouldn't ask Caleb. He's a starving musician for goodness. He don't, he don't have a real job. Like, yeah. Like, but I could ask you for a quarter, right? 
Check your parents' ashtray in her car. They probably got it for you. Here's what I'm saying. Like you don't ask someone for what you know they don't have to give. You ask them at the level of your assurance of their provision. And so when I ask God for a little crumb, I, I might only think he has a little crumb. And he certainly does. But the point of this whole thing is that our expectation will determine our ask. And the largest of our ask determines the grandness of our God. Do you understand that part? And so you can ask God for a crumb. Absolutely. He got a lot of crumbs. A lot of people leaving stuff around. And the crumb will do you good. But don't just ask. Ask greatly with great expectation. She wanted a crumb and she got her daughter healed. Can you imagine what the table holds? Do you understand? And so, Father, we honor you by our expectation. Father, we honor you in the grandness of who you are by our great expectation. I want you to pray with me right now with expectation in this moment. God, hear us. Know our heart. We are in need. We are in desperate need. Some of it is for us. Father, some of it is for our children. My goodness. Would you just hear our heart for our kids? Some of it's for our spouse. Some of this stuff is deep and personal and profound. God, we are in need. And we acknowledge in this moment that you are Lord and you are master. And God, we know that you got crumbs available. We know that there are crumbs aplenty. But Father, we're asking big. We're asking in great expectation. Not because we're greedy, but because we believe in who you are. So hear us now, oh God, our Father. You are a big God. You are a mighty God. You are omniscient. You are omnipotent. You are the mighty one, the creator, the sustainer. And so we ask with great expectation. We ask with great expectation that in this moment, you will grant by your grace, not by our performance, healing. We ask that you will grant by your grace, not by our behavior, restoration. We ask that you will grant by your grace, not by what you do, revival in lives and relationships and futures. We ask by your grace, because of your favor given to people who don't deserve it and could never merit it, that you would renew what is dying, that you would renew and rebirth what has what has been killed that God by your grace that your blessing and favor would be profound upon kids who have been adopted into your family though we not may not deserve the bread that you have for some special ones God but dadgummit you are our father and we deserve even at least the crumbs so in this moment in this moment help In this moment, help. Thank you that you are both the God of the crumb and the God of the table. And we cry out to you, not in religious verbiage, but the authenticity of a heart that just says help. We love you, Jesus. And we run to you. We love you, Jesus. And we run to your arms. We love you, Jesus.
and we run into your presence. Where you lead us, we will follow. Where you go, we will follow. Where you are is where we want to be. Help us, Lord. Amen.